Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Well, hey, welcome to church today. If you're brand new, we love you. We're grateful that you're here today. Uh, My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And we also want to welcome everybody who's with us online. We love you guys. We're grateful for you as part of our online family as well. And uh, we're in a series of talks called Hunted. And we're talking about the demonic and about Satan and evil in the world. And uh, so it's just been a really good conversation as we come into this fall to be aware that there's there's a deeper spiritual battle that happens, that it exists. And if you're new today and you're like, oh, this is one of those churches and you're just kind of weirded out by the whole conversation, I get it. Trust me. You need to go back a couple weeks and watch the message because I really made a case for the reality that there are demons. There is a devil. And we want to put all of our, you know, the caricatures in our mind aside, you know, all that the exorcist stuff or whatever that comes to your mind when you think of demons. We're going to put that aside and try to see what does the Bible actually say about the demonic? What does it say about the devil? Who is he? What does he want? What is he doing in the world? And so we really made a case that we always have a decision to make every single day. Are we going to believe the lies or believe the truth? And the enemy is one that that all he does is lie. Uh, his native ang- language is is to lie. That's all he does. And so uh, we make a decision every day whether or not we're going to believe in the truth of Jesus or we're going to stand uh, on the lies that, that are coming at us. And so we're not, if you're just, again, if you're weirded out, we're not demon hunting, right? We're not going with pitchforks through the land looking for demons under every rock. But we do want to acknowledge that demons do exist, um, that, that they, they, they exist. They want to steal from us. They don't want to give to us. They want to take something from us. And so uh, we started the first week making a case for the reality that there is a hunter. And, and hunter is the term that we're using for the devil. There is an actual devil. He does exist. He may not look like what you think he looks like, but he is a fallen angel or angelic being that, uh, that wanted to be God that didn't want to worship God. And so there is a, a devil. He does exist. And the second thing we talked about was he, he wants to deceive us. That's what he wants to do. Is, is he wants to convince us that the things that will give us life will give us death, and the things that will give us death will give us actually life. And he wants to get us all mixed up and messed up in that way. And then this week, I want to talk about how we can resist him through gospel-centered relationships. That at the root of uh, dealing with all of these lies is knowing that we have people around us to help us, to encourage us. And so one of the things I know is that relationships are hard. Can we admit that? Married people, nod your head. Yep. Relationships can be hard. Uh huh. Yeah. Don't don't nod too hard. Just sitting next to your wife or husband. So, yes, they're hard. It's difficult. Um, we've all had hard relationships, hard friendships. Sometimes we have friends that um, you know it's just difficult in that relationship. Maybe they do something to lose our trust, or there's just some some weirdness or discomfort there. And and so I'll tell you, over the past few years, I've heard this phrase from a lot of my friends, and maybe you've said this before. I hate people. Just hate people. I mean, do you ever just feel that way where you're just, I can't stand people. I'll I'll tell you, I get this way when I get on an airplane a little bit. I'm just like, I don't like people at all. I I just, I tend to be that person that wants to kind of throw the blanket over his head and watch my iPad until we get off of this tin can that's flying 5,000 miles an hour through the air. So I, I just, I don't like flying anyway, but I tend to kind of resist just talking to people sometimes. And, and I know some of you in the room, like 
if you if you are honest, you wake up some days and you're like you're like I, I hate people. I don't want anything to do with people. I just want to be alone and just do my own thing. You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. Am I, am I just nuts? Some of you do this. I know you do. Once in a while, you're like, I just want to get alone and get away from people. My life would be better if I could just kind of isolate completely away from other humans. Now, one of the hardest things that we ever learn to do as followers of Jesus is love people. It really is a difficult thing. Uh, we can give lip service to loving people. Oh, I love people. But if you looked at our lives, it wouldn't look a whole lot like love many times. And First uh, John 4, if you want to flip over to that in your Bible, he, he speaks specifically about what it means to love. John talks a lot about love. Uh, apparently love's pretty important. In fact, we know that Jesus gave us two commandments, right? To love your, the Lord your God with all your heart and to love, come on Christians, your neighbor. That's right, yep, your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> you wake up this morning, you guys. Get your coffee, get the coffee flowing here in the room. So, Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving the neighbor is so key to us actually being followers of Jesus. And he says this. He says, my beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. Now listen to this part. But the person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. So there it is. So if you're here today and you're like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you don't love people, John says, you don't know God. You can't know God. You can't love God if you do not love people because we have this God that, that did everything for humanity. We have this God that sent his son that died for humanity, that created humanity in his image. And so to hate humanity is, is actually to hate God. Does that make sense? And, and this is something we've all dealt with. And even... You know, at our best moments, I think maybe uh, some of us have had sort of this worldview. How can I avoid loving people and still get to heaven when I die? You ever ask that question? Like, is there any way that I can kind of, you know, power slide into heaven, like barely making it with the flames on my back, right? Like I just, I just squeaked by into heaven. I didn't spend a whole lot of time with people, but I wasn't the meanest person in the world or the most rude person in the world. I just, I didn't really love them, but at least I get to spend eternity in heaven when I die. I think if you're a Christian, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you're like, there are so many things wrong with that question, right? Like that is not our goal. First of all, our goal isn't just to get to heaven when we die. Our goal is to actually bring heaven to earth. Uh, that's, that's what Jesus does. And that's what he asks us to pray is that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. That's right. So, so our mission ultimately as a church family is to see it be in Alaska as it is in heaven. And it's not just about where you go when you die, but certainly... The major goal should not be to avoid loving people. Now, the thing is, right now, we are very isolated people. Uh, even in the church, the statistics are pretty, pretty dismal. Many of us end up becoming very isolated. Uh, one survey said that 30, 36% of respondents to a national survey of approximately 950 Americans reported feeling lonely frequently or almost all of the time. So... People are lonely right now. Maybe you're here today because you were just lonely. You're like, I need to get around some people. I, I want to go to church today because I feel alone. Uh, another uh, survey said that 61% of those aged 18 to 25 reported high levels of loneliness. This is a hard age to be. If you're here today and you're between the ages of 18 to 25, 
Most people would admit that that's, it's like a black hole of your spirituality is between the ages of 18 and 25 because you were in youth group or whatever, maybe in a church, and then somebody was like, oh, you're 18, we just like kick you to the curb and, you know, like, hey, good luck, go, go fly, go figure out your faith and, you know, go to the adult church, you know, and you don't feel like you're maybe at home there. And, and it, just, it just can be a really difficult time, which is why this year we launched something called 1825, which we're super excited about. We got some 1825-year-olds, yep. You guys are part of it. Dude, there's such good stuff going on with our 18 to 25-year-olds. And so we are trying to reach that demographic. I've been praying for years for the right people at the right time to be part of ACF. Because if you look at Anchorage, if you look at the Valley, you look at Eagle River, there are tons of 18 to 25-year-olds and not a whole lot of things happening when it comes to discipleship and growing in your faith together. And so there's just like a, there's a rock-solid crew that is doing incredible things right now. So... Anyway, lots of isolation and loneliness in the 18 to 25 demographic. Here's one. Only 8% of people have had a conversation with a neighbor in the past year. I mean, let's be real about that. You know, we drive into the driveway. We hit the garage door open, opener. We get in the garage. We hit the opener again. We shut the door. We go inside. And most of us never even talk to our neighbors. We don't know the names of our neighbors. So we're isolated. They're isolated. One study said that loneliness is worse than uh, smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's pretty bad. That's, that, I mean, clearly there's, a, there's actually a physiological response that the body has to being alone. It's not good for people. Uh, this one was really interesting. According to George Gallup, Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. Which makes you go, why? Like, I mean, aren't just all people lonely? No, specifically Americans are some of the loneliest people in the world. I'll talk about that more in a minute. Now, why does this matter when it comes to being hunted, when there comes to being a, a devil that is after us? Well, I talked last week about how uh, in 1 Peter 5.8, he talks about the devil being like a lion that seeks to steal and kill and destroy and devour his prey. That's what the devil is like. And, de- and, and the devil hunts, right? He's hunting us just like lions hunt. And if you know anything about lions, they've been really hunting the same way for thousands of of years, and it's the same way the hunter hunts. You can write this down if you want. The hunter divides in order to devour. We know just like a lion, he's, he's not going to find, you know, the animal that's in with all the pack. He's going to find the wildebeest over here that, like, got lost, right, over by the creek. And he's just, like, meandering alone for whatever reason. And he's going to go pick that one off, right, because he's easy prey. He's alone. The same is true when it comes to you and me. When we are alone, we are extremely susceptible to, to the power of the enemy, to the work of the enemy. The enemy wants to corner us, get us away from the pack, and then devour us. And this is why God did not create us to be alone. Genesis two eighteen. then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So in the garden, we see Adam and Eve in perfect unity with each other and with God. And, and there was a need for companionship, right? A need for connection. That, that mankind was not meant to be alone. So God created Eve, and so then they were made one together. And this is something that we know exists, and yet we still sort of live isolated. We still feel lonely many, many times. And so I want to compare the two worldviews. The, the worldview of, uh, of us many times is, like I said, how can I avoid loving people and still get to heaven when I die? But if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what you know Jesus' worldview is. I'm willing to leave heaven and die to show my love for people, to show my love for the world. 
You see, you see the, the difference? You see the contrast, right? Like we want to just get to heaven when we die. Jesus would leave heaven as he did and die for the sins of humanity to show how much he loves the world. And so when Jesus comes to earth, what he does is he shows us kind of a new way to live. Remember, he was fully God, fully man, which means that we can look at the life of Jesus and go, this is really what it means to be human. Jesus shows us what it means to live. Like if you want to live life to its fullest, live like Jesus, follow the ways of Jesus. So Jesus shows up to earth and he, he establishes what many theologians call a new humanity. He's like, hey, I'm going to create a new system and a new way of life that is different than this old humanity. This new way to be human and this new identity that we have, what it, ha- what it does is it turns rejection to acceptance. It turns frustration into patience. It turns self-preservation into sacrifice. And most importantly, it turns hatred into love. This is the new humanity. This, honestly, should be the church. This is the church. Like, we are the new humanity. All of these things, it's this radical blend of different people from different places who have no other reason to be connected with one another except for the fact that Jesus is here. And if you look around the room today, and if you were to talk to some people after church, which I really want to encourage you to do, you can go stand underneath one of the little heaters out front. You know, it's, it's beautiful. Trust me. Just take a minute and meet somebody new and have a conversation and what you'll find is, man, this person's different from you. Uh, different background. Maybe they grew up in the church. Maybe this is their first time to church in years. Or maybe they've never been to church. Uh, people from a lot of different places who come together. And in any other part of society, this would make no sense at all. I just want you to realize this. Like what God is doing here, even right here in our midst, is a miracle. It is literally miraculous that you're sitting next to the people that you're sitting next to in one room together. Because as much as we're alike, we're also really different. I mean, our church is very diverse in terms of the way we vote, in terms of, the, of our opinions on, you know, masks or vac- vaccines or whatever the other divisive issue of our day. Like our church is all over the map. And yet here we are lifting hands together in the name of Jesus because he saved us all. Because we're all unified under Christ. In fact, Ephesians 2 verse 16 to 20 says exactly that. He's speaking to a group of people who really didn't feel worthy of the family of God. Didn't feel like they were connected to the family of God. Didn't feel like they fit in the family of God. And here's what he says. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. So He's speaking about the outsiders being people who feel like they don't fit in at church, feel like the non-religious people who maybe don't come from the right pedigree, right? Like, like I didn't come from a church home. If you knew my past, you probably kicked me out of this building, right? And then the insiders who were like, no, I, I'm a church person. I feel like I fit in. But Christ preaches peace to both, right? To both. He says, he treated us as equals and so made us equals. That's really, really key, Right? Through him, we both share in the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. Would you say this with me together? You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. Amen to that. You belong here. You guys, this is so important. I think one of the main reasons that so many people come to so many churches for the first time, just wanting to be embraced, and they feel like outsiders, they feel like they don't belong, 
is because so many Christians find themselves in the church every single week and they don't feel like they belong. But what would happen if we all embraced this reality that that the cross actually killed the hostility, both between us and each other and between us and God? And then now there is peace with God through the cross, which means there can be peace with each other through the cross. And then when we show up together and we gather together and we call ourselves Christian, that it's the most natural thing, that that is literally who we are, that our identity is grounded in Christ Jesus, not what we've done, not where we've been, whether good or bad. And now we can be made one family and a new humanity together. I mean, if we could embrace this reality, and I want you to hear me, look me in the eye. You belong here, okay? You do. If you're here today and you're like, I don't belong, you belong here. This is is your family. And if you've been here for five minutes or five years, you have equal right to call yourselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Equal right. I've said this before. You've heard it before. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's not one of us who stands above another, None of us are righteous. The Bible says that. There is no one who is righteous. Not one of us is righteous. We are all in desperate need of grace, saved by the same cross. And so that means that there is no hostility between us because of what Christ has done for all of us. That sounds great. It's a lot easier to live, or easier to say than it is to live, right? It's a, it's a difficult thing to actually live out because we're all tempted to isolate. We're all tempted to be alone. And we've been, many of us have been kind of sold this individualistic way of, of getting saved. Like, hey, Christianity is all about you just pray this little prayer in your head at church and then you just go live your life. And there's your, there's your free ticket out of hell, right? Like you can go to heaven now. You're good. That's great. I just want you to know that's not good news. The truth of the gospel is it's not just a little prayer that you pray and then you go live your life. You get invited into a family. And what do we know about families? They're a little messy but they're also really beautiful. And so you get invited into this family called the family of God, this new humanity, and now you get to be on the journey of learning how to live your life in community, not in isolation. So take a a quick survey of yourself for a minute. I'm gonna ask some questions. How are we doing on these things? First, when's the last time you just invited somebody new over for dinner? Anybody. Anybody new that you you don't typically hang out with, somebody that maybe just met at church this week? Maybe somebody from work, like, when's the last time you did that? When's the last time you told your story of faith? Whatever it is. Maybe it's a, you know, like, it's a 30-second story. That's fine. That's a story, right? I hear this all the time from from Christians. I don't like to tell my testimony, my story, because it starts off with, I grew up in a Christian home. Do you know how much of a testimony that is to God's grace on your life? Like, they got through his providence. He brought parents your, your parents were saved because somebody else poured into them and that you grew up in a home where, where you were trained in the ways of God and, and that you would be a completely different person if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus on your life through your parents. Like, that's an amazing story. Like, you need to be proud of that story, whatever it is. When's the last time you went out of your way to help somebody? Like, totally inconvenienced yourself. It cost you something. It took time that you didn't have. It took money that wasn't available for that. You had it plan to pay, pay for something else, and you used it to bless someone else. When's the last time you invited someone to church, right? Like when you woke up this morning, and you're trying to fix your hair, because it's all janky from last night, and you know, like, did you just text somebody real quick and say, hey, uh, I, I'm saving a seat for you at church. I love my church family. Like, 
And, and honestly, I'll tell you this, I've never been part of a church where I feel so comfortable inviting people to church. Because we say this a lot, you don't have to believe to belong at ACF. We have people at every stage of their spiritual journey. People who are like, man, I'm all in for Jesus. And people who are like, I'm all in for the coffee. Like, but not so much the Jesus thing yet. And that's fine. And that's fine. So we're all on this journey together. But when's the last time you just said, hey, I know that an invite would mean something to somebody. Do you know, like, the statistics are clear. Like, people would respond to an invitation if you just invited them. And we, whether you know it or not, are very much a post-Christian nation at this point. No longer do all of our friends have an understanding of the gospel or an understanding of church or who Jesus is where that was more woven into our society. It's not anymore. I promise you, we have people all over our community who if you were like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, they'd be like, who? What about him? Who have just simply not heard the gospel, who have maybe never been invited to just gather together to talk about these deeper things of our reality. How about this? When's the last time you let somebody see the real you? Not the cleaned up perfect version of you that you maybe walk into church with, but the real you, the grimy you, the you that comes out at, you know, like 7 a.m. before your coffee, that you. Like when, when's the last time you let somebody in on that part of your life? It's like, hey, I'm trying to, I'm trying to grow here. I'm a little weak in this area. Now, I know some of you, when I talk about inviting people into your life, you're like, oh, I don't know. She's not a people person, right? Like, Brian, the thing is, I'm a unique little snowflake that God has created that, like, doesn't like people. And I know it's like I'm supposed to, but I'm just, I'm so unique that I don't really like people. You're not that unique, okay? So, like, we all struggle with that sometimes. We all deal with that. But what I'm not saying here in terms of reaching out and doing this is that that you shouldn't get alone sometimes. Because I think that's an excuse we make as well. It's like, well, I'm just, I like solitude. I like my Jesus time. It's just me and Jesus. So hear me on this. Intentional solitude is a necessity. I believe right now, maybe more than ever. You better get alone with Jesus once in a while if you want to overcome the temptations of the enemy and deal with what's going on in our society in a way that actually brings glory to God. It's hard. Like, you better get alone. And so that is so important, and you you will always hear me talking about that. We talk as a church a lot about the disciplines and and rhythms of our faith that, that just take some work of having intentional solitude. Jesus, he needed to get alone, didn't he? He needed to get alone. When ministry would start amping up and people would just be clamoring for his attention, the first thing he would do is go, go to the woods to pray. Just be alone with the Father. But think about this. If anybody could live life alone and like do it well, wouldn't it have been Jesus? If anybody could figure this out, live a holy, perfect life and do it right and live a, a full life alone, it would have been God in the flesh. It would have been the Son of Man. And yet Jesus had relationships, didn't he? All the way to the cross, he had relationships, different levels of relationships, from three to 12 to like 120, like levels of people that he would let into different levels, which is important. You don't let everybody into your life at at the same level, but you have people that you really trust and others that you're still kind of getting to know and others that are more of like acquaintances, but you're, you're kind of learning how to be in community with them. Jesus did that same thing. He needed community. Later in John 4, um, He really brings this whole idea of loving your neighbor home for us. He says this, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. That's pretty clear. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this really removes all the excuses, honestly. 
I mean, even what it says is like, we're to love one another. And the thing is, I think often what we tend to do is think that there's some kind of neutral ground. Like I'm not, I'm not really hateful, but I'm just sort of neutral towards other human beings, right? I don't really love them, but you know, I don't really hate them. I just, I'm, I'm neutral. I live life neutrally. There's just no room for that as I read the Bible. There's no opportunity for neutral towards people. In fact, if there's anything that's described as neutral, it's hatred. It turns out that hatred is actually neutral. And I'll explain it this way. Like, we have a city full of people that haven't heard about Jesus. We have a community full of people that are going through all kinds of things right now, dealing with, you know, divorce and substance abuse and depression and suicidal thoughts and and all kinds of relational issues. I mean, there is a lot of brokenness in our world. Clearly, loneliness is a problem right now. And what God convicted me of this week as I was thinking about this, because I'm making excuses too, just so you know I'm preaching to myself, is what God, God was saying, like, how much do you have to hate somebody to keep them from the love of God? To withhold what you have from others who desperately needed, that's not neutral, right? If somebody's dying and they need what you have and you withhold it from them, that's not neutral. That's hatred. And it's hurtful. And it's just something that sometimes we make excuses for, but we say, well, I'm just independent, right? I'm an independent person. But you can write this down if you want. What we call independence is often actually isolation. And we love our independence, don't we? Come on, Alaskans. I have never lived in a more independent state than the state of Alaska. Uh, many military, we probably, we probably have 70% military people at ACF Church. You, you military people, independent, right? I grew up, my dad was in the military for 30 years. So I get it, I get the lifestyle. We love our independence. Americans love independence. We have something called the Declaration of Independence. Good, you went to school. Good, yeah, so you're awake. That's great. We love our independence. We love to be independent. We are proud of our independence. If you start telling us what to do, we will fight it now, right? We might have done it on our own, but since you told us to, we're not going to do it, right? We used to struggle with this in church. We used to try to block off certain rows because we start running out of room like we are today. And, and as soon as we would put a rope against a row, somebody would be like, bloop. And they normally sit in the front, but they're like, I'm sitting in this row today. I'm moving that rope and I'm sitting right here because nobody tells me where to sit, right? This is my church. This is my seat. Isn't it right? If we put a sign on the white cups in the back and said, do not touch these cups, you guys would be cup, 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 right? Because like, he said, don't touch the cups. I'm going to do it. And this is just, this is our pride, isn't it? I mean, we all, we all do this in different ways, but that's the truth. We just, we love our independence. We love to do it alone. And I want to talk, especially to you men in the room. I get it we all have a certain pride that we can do it alone. I mean, I'm guilty of this. There'll be like a 700 pound engine block. And I'm like, I can totally get that into the bed of a pickup truck. And I will spend the next six hours rigging up pulleys and like ramps and all kinds of, just so I don't have to make a two second phone call to my buddy who lives just down the street and say, Hey, would you come over, keep me from getting to the, to the ER today with a broken back? And, and here's the problem with that. You might be like, well, what's wrong with that? Well, the issue is When I do that, I'm actually keeping that friend, first, from an opportunity to bless me, second, from an opportunity to build a connection, and we might actually have a meaningful conversation if he came over. We might chat for just a minute. I might get to pray for that friend. He might get to pray for me. We might actually be encouraged after meeting up with one another, but that never happens because I'm just too proud, and I think that I can do my life alone. I can fight my battles alone, and men in the room, you guys need some people around you to fight the battles that you're fighting. I, I know many of the battles that you're fighting. I, I hear stories. Many of you tell me the battles that you're fighting and you are making yourself susceptible 
to the temptations of the enemy by isolating yourself and trying to fight alone. You're not helping anybody by sticking to your guns and thinking that you're strong enough. So just let me help you out. You're not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. The enemy is too strong for all of us to fight alone. We need God's help. We need each other's help. That's just how we were created. So here's the journey that kind of connects all of this together because you might, again, you're like, well, I'm just independent. I'm just an individualist, right? Again, I'm just very unique and I live this life alone. Here's, I was reading a, a book this week that was kind of connecting all the dots together for me and it was, it was mind-blowing because I see this happening in people in our society all the time. First, individualism always leads to isolation. If you're focused so much on your individual life and your indiv- individual journey with Jesus or your individual dreams and vision for your life, you will end up isolating. I see it happen all the time. And then isolation leads to something called tribalism. We'll talk about that in a second. And then tribalism always leads to hatred. If you don't know what tribalism, tribalism is simply an us versus them worldview where we find ourselves only connected to people who are like us, who vote like us, think like us, see things like us, and then we cheer each other on toward hating those who think differently than we do. And that's always how it goes. And it's a step-by-step journey that we go on. Again, we go, well, I don't hate people. I just don't love them. I'm just an individualist. But it's a journey that we go on, again, withholding love, the Bible says, is the same as hatred. That we're not giving it away. It's to hate someone else. And it leads to isolation, which that isolation leads to me only being alone with the people that think like I do, right? Come on, you've got a friend like this. You got a friend like this and you're like, just get off Facebook, bro. It's killing you. Stop it. And, and do you, I mean, you know, the, the algorithms are working against you, right? That your little phone's trying to show you everything that you agree with. That it's like, it's weird, right? The stuff that it knows about you, but it will only show you the things that you, that, that you already have typed in and think about. And it's going to, it's going to go to, to confirm your bias, right? Confirmation bias. We see the phone and our, you know, our, our technology is feeding into that. And so it's trying to create, and the reason is, listen, the whole system is built on this. There's, people are making money on outrage, hand over fist. And the whole thing collapses if, you don't, if your life's not filled with fear and anxiety and frustration and anger with everybody around you. Like the whole system collapses. And so we're being fed anxiety and fear and outrage all day long. It's just being fed through every technological device, everything in the news. It's hurting us. And it's certainly not leading us to love one another any better. So what it leads to is like we are really good at destroying things right now. I mean, we are really good at tearing things down. We're really good at criticizing right now. I mean, we are great at criticizing things right now. And really, this is a sign that we've fallen into this kind of tribalist mentality. You see, tribalists focus on what they're against. But the new humanity focuses on what we are for. Do you see the difference? This is really important that we see there's a massive difference between going from individualism to isolation to tribalism. This is, this is the journey that we go on if we're not really careful. And I'd equate it to this. So like, I love demolition. I mean, I've gotten to help some friends before where they're like, hey, I'm taking out a room and we just grab a couple sledgehammers and we lose our minds for an hour. And it's awesome, right? There's sheetrock flying all over the place, nails and two by fours. And, and it's great because you can just like make a mess and somebody else has to clean it up. 
So I, I love demolition. Maybe you've done some demolition before. Any idiot can, can do demolition, swinging a hammer and just like breaking things down. But it takes a true craftsman to build something, doesn't it? Like when you walk into a house and the trim is perfect and the drywall is all finished up and it just looks beautiful and you're like, oh, somebody put in some effort here. I, I very rarely walk into a house that's been demolished and been like, man, this is true craftsmanship. This, somebody really thought a lot about this. It's like a dude with an excavator in five minutes can knock down a house, right? But it takes months and months to build something beautiful. The church has far too often been known for what we're against and not what, what we're for, Right? If you asked your friends in the community, what are Christians against? They would have an answer to that question. They would, they would have lots of answers. So, oh, uh, they don't like the, uh, the cups at Starbucks around Christmas that don't have Christmas verses on or whatever. Like they don't like that they took Christ out of Christmas or they have issues with this in our society or that in our society. They, they, they have issues with the LGBTQ community. They have issues with this community. And then you were like, well, what are Christians about? Like, what are they for? You would get crickets. Our, our goal as a church family is to be so for our city that our community has an answer to that question. That we serve our city and love our city. And as ACF Church, we pour lots of resources into showing love to our community because we want for them to be like, hey, even if they don't believe in Jesus, maybe they don't believe in God, maybe they don't believe in what the church believes, but they're like, but what I do know is that Christians are for us. Don't you want your friends to say that? What I do know is Christians are for our city. They are for the state of Alaska. They are for Eagle River. And this is why our vision as a church family is for it to be in Alaska as it is in heaven. Our vision isn't to destroy anything that's bad in Alaska, right? Our vision is to build something beautiful in Alaska. So let's be real. This is a journey that we can go down towards isolation if we're not careful. And it gets really bad. And uh, some of you get caught in your head too often. You hear that, or maybe you've said that before. I get in my head too much, and it's kind of scary in here. I need to get out of my head and get some help. I was actually uh, thinking about this message, and I was watching a documentary on Netflix a little bit ago, because that's what I do now. I watch documentaries. That's my life, I guess. And, and so I was watching this documentary, and it's about this guy in Colorado. Some of you know this story, and it was, it was a while back. He's a mechanic and a welder, and uh, he, get, he just got really alone, and, and then he got really paranoid. He, he, he lived alone. He had, like, one friend that he talked to occasionally, a couple people that he hung out with occasionally, but, like, was very, very isolated. And he started feeling like the whole community was trying to destroy him, and that all these people were trying to, you know, destroy his business and destroy him, and they're all out to get him. And one night, he was alone in a hot tub, and God spoke to him, he thought. And God said, you're going to be the one to enact justice on all the community. And, and this is the stuff that happens. And you start thinking God says stuff that God would never say. You know, again, we said a few weeks ago, the, the, the enemy masquerades as an angel of light. Sometimes when we're isolated, we can't tell the difference between the voice of God and the voice of the hunter. So he's being hunted and he feels like God is saying, I'm going to enact justice on all these people that are out to get me. And so he goes into his shop and starts building this thing. Which have you ever seen that? This is affectionately called the killdozer. He buys this massive Kamatsu dozer at an auction and a bunch of metal plate and spends like the next year and a half outfitting it with a 50 caliber rifle and like all kinds of crazy stuff. And finally one day he wakes up and he's like, today's the day. And he goes through the city and he's driving over buildings. You can watch it later. It's just, this actually happened, but I was, I was watching this and I'm like, this is what happens when a dude's alone in his head too long. You end up building a killdozer, Right? 
It just gets nuts. In fact, this meme was floating around during COVID. Y'all need to check up on your mechanic friends. They got too much time on their hands right now, right? <laughs> so be careful. You got a welder and a Komatsu dozer. Crazy stuff could happen. But seriously, like especially as Alaskans, we can really isolate. Wintertime's coming. You better be careful. You better be aware of the fact that you were not meant to live alone. And not just that, we will be ineffective for the kingdom of God if we don't realize that we were made for relationships. You see, in a culture of hostility, the new humanity chooses companionship. That's the ulterior way of living life. To go, you know what? Here's the deal. You could do it alone. I don't think you'd do it well. I don't think you'd live it well. I I think that you would die being not living out the full potential of what God has placed in your life and in your heart, you could go and just live it alone. But you can't live a full life alone. You can't live the mission of God alone. And ultimately, in a culture of hostility, we choose companionship when we are going to trend toward isolation. And that's just the reality. You will not trend naturally toward companionship, toward just building relationships with people you don't know. How many of you grew up in a church with the meet and greet time? Anybody? Anybody? A few of you? How many of you uh, hated the meet and greet time? Just be real with me. Okay, most of the people in the room are like, it was my least favorite part of church because it was like, hey, stand up and meet somebody you don't know. I was like, I don't want to because you told me to, right? That's always it. Because you said so, I'm going to sit right here, pastor. You know, I, I get it. I get it. It's sometimes our least favorite thing to do, but those little connections mean everything. Between services, I was standing out front. And I was talking to a lady. She's like, I'm brand new. I'm just trying to get into a small group and, and trying to find a place to fit in. And there was a guy, another guy that was kind of waiting in the corner to talk to me. And he was like, hey, where do you live? And she's like, on base. And he's like, oh, where? What neighborhood? Oh, here. And he's like, well, we just live over here. Here's my wife. Let's make a connection and come to my small group. She's like, great. And off they go. And I was like, well, how hard was that? That was super easy. <laughs> and some of you guys, listen, I get it. You come to a new church and you're here maybe the first time. And you need to know this. Our church is probably a third of you are brand new just in the past six months to a year. And, 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 and we're like 70% military, which means that we lose a third of you every single year. Every three years is a turnover, right? And so you come to church and you sit down and you're like, well, nobody said hi to me. I was just waiting this guy next to me. He never said a word to me. He's waiting on you to say hi to him because he's as new as you are, right? Like just consider, you got to take ownership of your own journey and say, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to wait for anybody else. I'm just going to trust that God is calling me to build relationships, companionship. It's so important. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Good question. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So this is the classic wedding verse, right? But it's not even talking about weddings. It's just talking about relationships. Pity the person who falls down and no one's here to pick them up. Can I just tell you, don't wait until you get the diagnosis to start to build relationships. Don't wait until the marriage is just literally on the rocks. You're just on the verge of divorce to go, we should make some friends and have some support right now. Don't wait until your kids are making decisions that you literally don't even know what to do with to go, we should actually surround ourselves with other parents that are trying to figure this out too. And my kids should probably be plugged into some kind of, you know, youth ministry or something like, don't wait for yourself to fall down to build some friendships because he says, hey, pity the person who falls down and there's just no one there to pick them up. 
Don't be that person that calls us up and they're like, hey, I know I've never been to church, I've never done anything, but I just need, I need, I need, a, I need a phone call with a pastor. You can do that. And we'll talk to you, but you're in a bad place already. And it's always harder to help somebody there than somebody who's in relationships, who's connected to people, right? And don't be that person that's isolated, that only has friends with people who think like they do and just is, is isolated in a small group of people. So this is the new humanity. This is how we want to live. And, and now what tools do we have then? If we want to choose companionship, how do we build these relationships? Well, there's a term in the Bible, and it's the term hospitality. Hospitality is the tool that God has given the church by the power of the Spirit to build relationships. It's something that we are all to do. And it's maybe, I will tell you, the most important thing we as ACF Church will ever do to advance the movement of the kingdom of God in our city is that we would be a hospitable pe- people. It's, it's why when you showed up today, somebody put a, piece, a, a cup of coffee in your hand. Somebody walked you in and tried to help you find a seat. The rows were all kind of stacked up. In a, they, were, they were lined up in rows for you to have a place in some leg room to sit down. Somebody printed off a little insert and they handed this to you, you know. And I mean, this is, the, the heaters were on outside. The music was playing. That's because people knew you were coming. And they've been, they've been praying for you. They've been ready for you. These people that serve want to be hospitable. And I know when you're like, okay, Brian, you want me to be hospitable or to do hospitality? Some of you think, so you want me to learn to bake, right? Like, is that what hospitality is? Or, or I need to like plug in a candle at home? Like, what does this really mean? Maybe when you think of hospitality, you think of Southern hospitality. Where are my Southern people at? A little sweet tea, rocking chair on the front porch, right? Southern hospitality, right? I mean, I get it. I married a girl who went to the University of Alabama. I get Southern hospitality. We got a roll tighter in the room. I get it. I get Southern hospitality, but here's what I do know about Southern hospitality is it's kind of, kind of, it's kind of skin deep, right? Like, like we might give you a cup of sweet tea, but we're not going to let you know what's going on behind closed doors. And, and so we know that there can be sort of this surface level hospitality. We want to be people who actually get to know others and not just anybody, but people who are different than us. Because the definition of biblical hospitality is literally love of the stranger. That's what it means to be hospitable. That's what hospitality, it's not about, you know, making a quiche or baking a cake or the sweet tea. It, all those, those are help. Those will help, you know, make somebody feel at home. But it's literally about love for the stranger. I was reading a book called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, which I would encourage you to read it. I was convicted by the title, so I was like, I should pick this up. But the author describes this journey of hospitality as the moment we turn strangers into neighbors and neighbors into the family of God. And I liked that. And I just thought, if only it was that easy. If only I just woke up in the morning going, I don't hate people. I just, I want to meet people. I want to love people. And that's just, that's just the thing is like, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you, if you actually do know God, what John says is if you know God, It's not that then you have to love people. Okay, fine, I'll do it because I know God. No, he says, if you know God, you will love people because God loves people. It's a natural outpouring of someone who knows God is that we begin to love people. So congratulations, you're a people person. You as a Christian are a people person. That's who you are at the root of your being. Anything else is a lie. Anything else is a lie. And I get it. Some of us are more prone to certain things than other things, but you might have a capacity for a hundred deep relationships. Somebody else might have a capacity for five or one or two, but you have a capacity to do this. 
Here's the problem. This is not how the world lives. This is not how our society functions. Henry Nouwen says it this way. Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people. God knows that's true, right? Anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude, and do harm. But still, that is our vocation, to convert the hostess into a hospice, the enemy into a guest, and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. I thought that was beautiful. I mean, I get that you're prone to just kind of isolate. I get that you're scared. Maybe you've bought into the propaganda, right? You just need to be more fearful of human beings. Jesus says you need to love people the way that I loved you. That you can't love me without loving people. And so we're doing this as a small way, in a small way as a church, trying to show hospitality. Um, we shared a few weeks ago that we have 100 Afghan refugees coming to Alaska right now. And uh, I've just, I keep getting updates. Some of you, have, in fact, we were talking to somebody who's one of the pilots who's actually uh, flown them to Alaska. And so we've got people coming into the state of Alaska right now that have nothing, literally nothing on their backs. I guess like five of them had luggage and the rest had nothing. And uh, they're just coming to try to figure out life and they're scared and this place is new and terrifying and they don't know where to begin. And so we're doing something um, pretty simple. We're, we're, we're gathering some toiletries and supplies for them. You can also go to acfak.org slash refugees. And there's all kinds of different ways. You can be a host family. You can help show them around. Um, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out housing and all kinds of things right now. And, and so we're partnering with some other organizations to see if we can help these people, these refugees. This is one way to show hospitality. Now, we heard about this need a little while ago, and our team was on it. Like, the team that we have is just like, if there's a need, let's go, let's go meet it in the name of Jesus. Let's go try to meet it. And they were on it, and, and so they came up with all these plans, and I left the meeting, and I walked out, and I walked to my office, and the first thing I thought was, some people aren't going to like this. Depending on your background, you know, military, non-military, depending on whether you've been deployed, haven't been deployed, depending on how you see the, the politics around all the things that are going on, you may struggle with this. And, and, and then God just impressed it on my heart, this reality that we are all refugees. Like, this is really who we are. We're all strangers and outsiders who have been welcomed into the family of God by the grace of God, not deserving any of it. That's who we all are. And so really the, the, the answer is like, how could we not help these people? How could we withhold the thing that God did for us when we have a chance to do it for others? And, and again, I know that sometimes the idea of loving the stranger is difficult and you're fearful and you're wondering what to do. And, and honestly, it's just, it's discomfort because we don't understand people. We uh, took a trip, I'll close with this. We took a trip uh, about seven years ago down to the Middle East and, and I'd never been to the Middle East. I'd never uh, been in that culture. And I had some real discomfort, honestly, just being real with you. I didn't know what to do. I felt way out of my element. I'd never woken up to the, you know, the, the Muslim call to prayer over the speakers, you know, echoing through the city. I'd never walked around and seen all the mosques with the little green lights. And I just had never been around this before. I felt so out of my element and so uncomfortable. And one day I was, I was buying a coffee and I sat down. And I looked over and there's this guy about, you know, mid-20s. And he was just sitting there waiting for his coffee. And I just felt like the spirit said, go talk to him. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. 
And I was like, he doesn't want to talk to me. I'm some stupid American. Like, he doesn't. And it just felt like I was like, go talk to him. And so I, I walked over, and I'm like, he probably doesn't even, all the excuses. He probably doesn't speak English or whatever. And I'm like, hey, um, what do you think about, I said something like, like, like what, what's, what's your story? Or could I, could I talk to you for a minute? And he was like, oh, sure. And I sit down. He speaks English. It's kind of broken. And, and I was like, well, tell me, like, tell me about yourself. Like, what's, what's your story? And he was like, oh, well, I'm going to school and uh, learn English. He said, I'm a paramedic. And... Uh, I need to know English because I need to know how to pick up all the drunk Americans off the street. And so <laughs> that was a whole other conversation. But he was just like, he's like, uh, I got a girlfriend and I'm hoping to get married someday. And he's like, I'd love to come to America. It'd be really cool to see, see America someday. And we just had this really awesome conversation. And it's amazing. I walked out of that, co- that, that coffee shop and, and, and it's, it's crazy how fear was just stripped from my soul. And it was replaced with love. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. And so if you feel fear, what you need to do is ask God, how can I love right now? What does love look like in this moment toward the person that's right in front of me? And when you begin to love them, you will see fear stripped away. And that's what I watched happen in my own soul. And what I realized is that at the most basic level, when you are trying to encounter a new person. The reality is this, their story is your story. It really is. We all are the same people, desperately in need of the grace of God. Romans eight nineteen says, God was reconciling the world to, him, to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So you've literally been entrusted with the gospel. God has handed you this resource, and it's called the good news of Jesus. And he's saying, go use it. I've entrusted this this thing to you, this treasure to you. And it's not just for you, it's for the world. And I want you to share it with others. And I love that it says that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins or their stories against them. Aren't you glad that God didn't count our stories against us? Man, so often we count other people's stories against them. Most of the time, we don't even know their story. We make assumptions, but the grace of God is that he doesn't count our stories against us. He invites us into the family. And so I want you to hear me on this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have joined a family. And we need you. And the truth is you need us. And I want you to lean in right now. I want you to go through the awkward, the shyness, the insecurities. I want you to push through those things and believe it's going to be worth it. And ultimately the message that we want to share with the world is this. In the family of God, Everyone is welcome at the table. That's the message. So hear me, you belong here. And if you could believe that today, you might be able to make somebody else feel that way as well. So would you grab your action cards here real quick? If you, if you have these on your seat, maybe it's sitting around next to you. Maybe you're sitting on it. But I want you to tear this bottom card off. And this is something we do every single week. And uh, we just want to text you an encouragement this week that we're praying for you as you take your next step with Jesus. Again, we promise not to spam you. We're not putting you on an email list or a a text list. We're just going to try to encourage you and remind you of what God was doing in your heart right now. Because I don't know what's happening in your heart, but he's doing something. And maybe for you, you go, well, at the root of this, the reason I hate people or I'm not very hospitable or I'm so isolated is because I have not put my faith in Jesus. I don't feel like I belong. So the last thing I want to do is make anybody else 
feel like they belong. And so maybe today your first step is to put your faith in Jesus. If that's you, I want to I want to pray with you in just a minute. We believe that in a moment you can make a decision to entrust your life to Jesus, to submit to his authority in your life. And we believe that is the moment that you step from darkness to light, the moment that your eternity is secure in Christ. If you want to make that choice today, maybe for you, you're saying, I'm going to ask to hear someone's story this week. Whether it's at the coffee shop or it's a coworker or somebody that you just think you wouldn't have any way of relating to. You're just going to go, hey, what's, what is your story? You might find that you're more similar than you realize. For you, maybe it's that you know who you're going to invite to church next week. You're like, I know who it is. I can, that's super easy. I'm going to send a text and say, I'm saving a seat for you. So don't just invite them. Don't just say, hey, you can come at one of these service times. Say, I'm coming at 11 a.m. I'm saving a seat for you. I'd love for you to join us. You don't have to believe to belong. We're, we're the kind of community where you can be at any point in your journey with, with, with God or with faith. And, uh, and I, want, I want you to come. So show love to your friends in that way. Maybe this is you. You're going to build a friendship over a meal this week. I don't know what your living conditions are. I don't know if you're like in an apartment or a house or living in a van down by the river. I don't know what your, some of you got that. I don't know what your situation is, but you can make ramen, right? Y'all can do some noodles. You can turn on a little music and set, set a tone, make, make it fun. You can figure something out to invite somebody into your space and be hospitable. And ultimately, again, it's not even about those things. To be hospitable is love of the stranger. You can do that at a coffee shop. You can do that anywhere. You can do that here. So simply find a way to build a friendship over a meal this week. Something about eating together is powerful. I don't know if you know this, but there is a power in simply having a meal together. It, it opens all kinds of doors of conversation. And so whatever your next step is, I want to encourage you to do that. But if today you are saying, I just need to start by entrusting my heart to Jesus, would you, can we all stand up together? I want to give us a chance to pray. And uh, if that's you today, give you a chance just to step into the family of God for the first time. Would you bow your heads? If this is you, just pray this with me. God, I, I recognize my need for a Savior. I recognize that maybe I've got people around me, but my heart has been isolated from you. And today I want to entrust myself to you and put my heart in your hands. I want to do more than believe there is a God. I want to put my belief in the one true God. I want to submit to your authority in my life. And I want to, I want to learn from you and, and also trust that in all the struggles I have and the questions I have, that your grace is sufficient for my weakness. And so in this moment, I step from darkness into light, step from death to life, and I step from isolation into the family of God. God, I just pray that we would all embrace the reality that we belong. I want to pray for the person here today that feels like they have no right to call themselves a Christian, no right to come into this church building God, that they would realize that they have as much right as anyone in the room by the power of your cross and the reality that we all stand together in need of your grace. And God, that we can all come to you equally as your family. And God, you've entrusted to us this message. Father, forgive us for keeping it to ourselves. Forgive us for making excuses and looking for ways out. God, forgive us for assuming that people either don't want to hear it or don't need to hear it when we don't know that. God, help us to love our city. I pray that when our community is asked, what is the church for? That they would have an answer to that question. And the answer would be, I think they're for us. I think they're for me.
And God, we know that we all have been entrusted with that opportunity to make sure that that's the answer. We love you, God. Thank you. Give us power and uh, help us to, 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 to see the, the works of the enemy in our lives this week, God. And more than anything, help us to love one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.